Hello there, welcome to May Fight Club. I'm your host, Manny Galarza. Today we're breaking down PFL Challenger Series 7, coming up on Friday, the 1st of April, with a 9 p.m. Eastern start time. Five bouts on the card, very unique card. Every fighter in this card is fighting their first ever pro mixed martial arts fight. There is amateur experience for each of these fighters, but this will be their first ever pro fight. So I'm excited to see what they do. There's going to be longer rounds for them. Amateur fights usually go to about three minutes per round. I'll be five minutes per round for these fights. First time for some of these guys not having the pads in their shins. Expect to see some things you don't usually see. I'm glad PFL is doing it. It's an exciting way to have a card. Give a chance to some of these young guys. I do think there's a few prospects, two in particular, that I like a lot in this card. Actually, two or three prospects I like a lot that I think have a future. If not in the PFL, Bellator, maybe even the UFC at some point. Because some of these guys are 19 years old, 18 years old, 20 years old. In the one case, one of these fighters has like 88 boxing matches under their record. And they're 20 years old. You're like, how the fuck can that be? We'll give you each fight breakdown, one fight at a time. We don't have the official money lines yet. So what we did here is we estimated the money lines. We gave you our best guesstimate as to what they would be when they open up. Some lines should move a little bit. There'll be some steaming during the week. Some people will be jumping on the bandwagons. Maybe some parlay pieces we'll talk about. Overall, bet with caution. This may be one of those cards you don't want to bet at all and just sort of watch for these new prospects coming up. With all that said, let's jump into it with the first fight in the card. Here we go. All right, the card opens up with a featherweight bout between two American fighters at 145 pounds. You got Jalen McDaniel hailing from Atlanta, Georgia, and Derry Alderman from Spokane, Washington. Before I get started, I don't know much about these two fighters, and I could not find film at all on Jalen McDaniel. If you know about these fighters, please comment below. Do you maybe know someone who trains with them, or you've heard of them before? The tapology records are not accurate, at least in the case of Derry Alderman, so I'm assuming maybe they're not accurate for Jalen McDaniel either. It's our humble opinion here at MMA Fight Club that when you're doing a breakdown, film study should be a component, Statistical analysis should be a component. Some background information. You don't got to go deep diving into the whole personal lives like we do. We do that more for the entertainment value. And so the fans can see who, what these people are about and get to know them a little bit. But I don't think doing breakdowns where you don't know stats, you don't have tape to go off of, that's not responsible breakdowns. I'm not talking to anyone in particular. I got love for everyone out there. But just our style here at MA Fight Club, we don't just jump into a fight, pull up tapology and say, oh, this guy's got three wins and this guy's got two wins. And then this guy should win because of... No, no, it definitely requires more than that. With that said, I'll give you the information I know about these two fighters. I cannot give you a responsible lean. I have a feeling that Jalen McDaniel might be a little more athletic than what I've seen from Derry Alderman on film. That's just a gut feeling. That's not how you should be doing any wagering. Do not take our betting advice on this first fight. We'll just give you some information about these two fighters. And then from there, bet with caution. For Jalen McDaniels, he's 19 years old. He's based out of Atlanta, Georgia. He very well could be an ATT. ATT is a very big gym. They have a lot of young fighters there. There is another fighter on this card who is at an ATT. So I wouldn't be surprised. As for Derry Alderman, he's out of Warrior Camp in May where you've got Terrence McKinney and some other pretty good fighters. At least I know that box is checked. He's at a pretty good gym. We also saw one fight from him on film, which we'll talk about. And there's an interview as well that we posted a link down below where you can check out the interview of him with the podcaster. Pretty good interview. Gives you an insight into what he's about and also confirms that his tapology is not accurate whatsoever. Let's look here at Jalen McDaniel first. 3-0 as an amateur. He beat Cameron Day, Trace Harper, and Gage Johnson. All three of those fights were last year in 2021. It makes sense. He's only 19 years old, but pretty busy fighter last year. Got two wins by decision. The third fight against Cameron Day, he won that fight via round one TKO. That's all we know. There's not much more to go off of. He looks like he's in pretty good shape based upon the photographs. As for Derry Alderman, when you go to Tapology, you get this information that says he's 3-0. Mike Zindler, Alan Ray, Alec Aragon. By the way, if you want to see a creepy-ass profile photo on Tapology, click that first guy he fought, Mike Zindler. I don't know I don't know what that look is. It looks like he's like halfway between a ghost and albino. It's just a little bit of a creepy look. Long hair. I just, uh, whatever. Anyway, the long and short of it is, this is not accurate. 
if you listen to the interview that we mentioned before, he talks in the interview how he's three and one, and he's about to fight his fifth fight. So he had fought four fights at that point, and he was three and one doing a podcast interview about another upcoming fight. Tapology has him three and zero. Oh. That's not accurate. We don't know much about Alderman. The one fight that we did find on film, 2018 MMA match versus Ty Orgel. He won that fight via round one submission. Before the fight gets started, the announcer says that Ty Orgel was 0-1 with his only loss being against Derry Alderman. If you're counting now with me, that's not on Tapology. That would be six fights now. So that means he won the three that are on Tapology. Then he won this one right here via round one submission. That would be four. And then he fought another one that I'm not sure of who he fought. A lot of questions. Not sure why Tapology doesn't have the results. I'm not blaming Tapology. This is very low-level mixed martial arts, but the bottom line is whatever you see in Tapology is just a portion of what his career has been. He very well could be three and two. And the one fight against Ty Orgel, he did a good job. It was right away to the grappling. They both wrestled. He looked pretty comfortable getting a submission. When you look at his Tapology, he's got something called a buggy choke. I never even heard of that. He got a buggy choke in his bout in 2021 December. That was just a few months ago against Mike Zindler. Again, three bouts listed here on Tapology from last year. The other two bouts, one was in 2018 against Ty Orgel, and the other one, the fifth one, I have no idea where that was at. From watching him on film, looks to be in decent shape, decent ground game, decent submission ability, but the fight against Ty Orgel, that guy was a certifiable can. That guy was 0-2 at that point with both losses against Alderman. He is an active fighter, so is his opponent. Both guys are pretty young. I would imagine, based upon Alderman's interview and just the way he spoke, talked about his father and his parents, probably at most early 20s. He did have a wrestling background. He talked about the interview. He wrestled in high school. Unfortunately, did not get any scholarships after high school. So at that point, he was kind of a little lost about what he wanted to do. And his dad's the one who approached him and said, listen, you're done with wrestling. You're done with high school. Not going to go to college. Why not try out some mixed martial arts? He took his father's advice. He mentioned how much his parents support him. Not necessarily money-wise, but they support him. He's out of Spokane, Washington. I guess he grew up in Spokane, Washington. So not far away from the Warrior Camp gym. Experience is a factor on both sides for these guys, or a lack thereof. Level of competition, again, another factor. And then accuracy in their stats, who they fought. Just a ton of variables here. Do not bet in the fight. <laughs> Unless you have a side you just want to cheer for. Or maybe you know one of these guys. Comment below. Do you happen to know either one of these guys personally? If you do, woohoo, bet on that guy. Go for it. Don't do anything significant, though. This is their first pro fight. It's possible Alderman's got a good submission game. He comes in here and he submits the more athletic-looking fighter. It's possible Jalen McDaniel has better punching power. I have no fucking clue. I gave the information that I know of. I'm hoping for the best for both fighters. Hell, I hope they both win if that's possible. If that's not possible, <laughs> that would be a draw. But the bottom line is here, let the best man win. I'm gonna watch it, I'll be curious. I think Derry Alderman has at least a wrestling background that I'm aware of. As for McDaniel, I have nothing to go off here. And again, that record that he has of 3-0 in topology may not be accurate. If he's at ATT for McDaniel, that's definitely gonna be a key component. These guys are very young. Being around quality fighters and quality coaches, definitely a big factor. I'm going to just flip a coin here and go with Jalen McDaniel to win the fight by decision. Now, notably, all these fights are the first time that they're actually fighting in a cage where they're going to have five-minute rounds. I'm expecting at least some of these fighters on the card tonight to get exhausted. Maybe not these guys. It's a featherweight bout, 145 pounds. Different rules for the amateurs because some fights I watch with this card, for example, Tally. For Rakeem Tally, he fought a bunch of fights as an amateur but didn't have the pads on his leg. I'm not really sure how that's determined, which... Organizations require them to use pads or not use pads or when you can use elbows, not use elbows. Anyway, guys, sorry I couldn't give you more information in this fight. Let's move on to the next one. Good luck. That you a star. There's a real fine line between the confidence and cockiness. I promise that the difference lies how often they be talking. The second fight in the card should be a heavyweight battle between Santino Zorita and Rakim Talley, both American fighters. 
we're on the side of tally. We'll try to break it down with you guys, put everything together to give you a good lean. For Zorita, there's not much information. Only fought one mixed martial arts bout as an amateur. That was about four years ago. We'll break it down. We'll give you the information we found. We do have confidence in tally. It probably opens up a little bit chalky on the money line. We'll go over that as well. Let's talk about Santino Zorita first. He's the former sparring partner of Francis Ngannou. Now, I'm not sure if he's still training with Ngannou, but leading up to the fight against Gan, he was one of the training partners for that fight. That means at least he's been active. He's been doing some training. Now, if you watch the sparring sessions, and I provided a video link below to see some of those sparring sessions, doesn't look that impressive. Looks a little bit pudgy. Looks a little bit uh, like a sparring partner, put it that way. The one mixed martial arts fight for him as an amateur 2018, he won by split decision against Adam D'Angelo. Adam D'Angelo only fought one fight in his mixed martial arts career as an amateur. That was three and a half years ago, has not fought again. Gives you an idea of the caliber of that opponent. And again, that was a split decision win here for Zorita. The only thing I can say that I like about Zorita, he's been within six degrees of greatness, right? You're a sparring partner of Francis Ngannou. Gan was a former sparring partner of Francis Ngannou, but don't get it twisted. He's not gone. The point is, if you're in there with the heavyweight champion in the world, some of that greatness rubs off on you. You do pick up some things, good coaching, mentality, work ethic, and you're not going to be a sparring partner for the heavyweight champion in the world unless you offer something. So from that standpoint, it shouldn't be ignored that he was a sparring partner. Again, three and a half year layoff, only one amateur fight, split decision, but still, the training sessions with Nagano have to have some value for him. The obvious weaknesses are, though, he's had a huge layoff. He's only had one mixed martial arts bout as an amateur a long time ago. You'd imagine between that time and now, he would have had at least one pro fight or another amateur fight, something. What's he been doing? Just being a sparring partner for the last three and a half years just leaves a lot of question marks about how this guy is. And the one amateur bout he fought against D'Angelo, you don't have that on film. We couldn't break it down. We don't know what it looks like. I just know that D'Angelo only fought one time in his mixed martial arts career, and it was a 2018 split decision. Let's talk about Rakim Talley. Now, we have a lot more information on Mr. Talley. He fought his first amateur bout in 2016, so has six years of amateur experience. 9-2 overall amateur record, six foot one in height. Wrestled in high school in Tennessee. Was actually a two-time state qualifier. I don't know that he placed. I heard a commentator say that he placed, but couldn't confirm that. He went to college at Middle Tennessee State University, but they don't have an actual affiliated wrestling program. They have a club program. He wrestled for the club program, and I guess it's a very competitive club program. I do want to point out, college wrestling, along with gymnastics, has been slashed across the board. A lot of former schools that had a wrestling program, that was a varsity program sponsored by the school, don't have it anymore. And so what you end up having is programs like this where it's a club program, and that does not mean it's not a good program. It doesn't mean it's not competitive. It just is another way for them to keep a wrestling program together that represents the school but it's not funded by the schools, not a varsity program. So don't look at it as like, oh, he's at a club program, not competitive. When you watch him fight, he's got very good wrestling skills. So clearly has a good wrestling base from when he was younger, went through college, nice mixed martial arts. He actually has a USA wrestling tattoo on his body. So again, the guy's a hardcore wrestler. He loves his wrestling base. He's proud of it. So the opponents are going to talk about here for Rakim Talley. 2021 had a Kimura loss to Keith Dowell. You're like, oh boy, amateur loss by submission. Keith Dowell is 7-1 as an amateur with five submission wins, two by Kimura. So not a bad opponent. A guy who clearly has submission wins in his background. And so in that case of that fight, he got caught off guard and gave up a submission win. Then we have Raheem Forrest, his second mixed martial arts bout as an amateur. 2017 round two TKO. He displayed solid wrestling in that fight. Took his opponent down in round one, kept him down the entire round. Round two comes out, another takedown. Solid takedown. What I love about him is when he gets a guy down, he doesn't just lay and pray. He actually delivers some damage. He gets right to the punching. And in that fight round two, he finishes the fight by getting a full mount. He wears out the opponent. Ground and pound, gets a nice win, hammer fist, the whole deal. Now, look, this is low-level fighting. Don't get me wrong. It's mixed martial arts, amateur level. But still, he wrestles very well throughout the course of the entire fight, has good cardio, and when he gets on top again, he's a busy fighter. That's why he finished that fight against Forrest. Andre Williams, 2018, round one submission finish. He used an amazing judo sweep, and when you first look at it, you're like, whoa, this guy might have some judo in his background. 
it's the wrestling. It's pretty much wrestling tied into judo. Great judo sweep, slams the guy on the ground, immediately gets to top position and just goes to work like an energizer bunny. He's just working, slamming, constantly hitting the guy. He gets into full mount. He's busy on top, landing a bunch of strikes, forces the opponent to turn and give him his back. And then that's where he gets in the rear naked choke. Just a very dominant win for him. Now, side note for Andre Williams. Andre Williams is three and 10 as an amateur. Just put that in perspective. So not a quality opponent, but when you face a can, you're supposed to finish him in that fashion. And he did. Next fight, Brandon Williford, 2018, round one TKO. Williford is four, six and one as an amateur. Again, not a very talented fighter by any means. Williford looked very out of shape in that fight. Came in with some flab hanging over, the trousers type of thing, some man boobs. I'm not trying to body shame him, but just didn't come in there looking very much in shape. He comes out in the first two seconds like a prototypical wrestler, gets a single leg takedown, gets the guy down on the ground. The guy looks like he's bigger and heavier than Rakim in his fight, but Rakim gets a takedown position, gets on top. Here we go again. Very active. Ground and pound strikes. The fight ends pretty quickly in round one with him just grounding the guy out on the ground. As for Brandon Williford, not a great opponent. He wasn't really that hurt per se. He was just overwhelmed and a little bit fatigued. Having a big guy on top of you, he's not letting you up. You're trying to get up at where's a person out. He does a good job of number one, getting the guy down. But number two, when he gets the guy down, he's busy as all hell. He's on top, hammer fists, elbows, just a very busy fighter when he gets to the ground, which I like to see the volume and the activity. You know those guys who take people down or those girls who take people down, don't do much with it. They're laying on top or just holding the person down. This guy immediately postures up, starts landing ground and pound and will force his opponent to change positions and maybe give up his back. One more fight, Steve Birdsong. That's a unique last name. His last name is Birdsong, like a singing bird. 2017 round two TKO win. There's a theme there. Round one, round two, he gets these guys out of there pretty quickly. Now, Birdsong is seven and two as an amateur, so not a terrible record. Unfortunately, he hasn't fought since 2017, which is his last fight against Rakim. As usual, round one, early takedown. Gets the guy down right away. Every film I watch of this guy, he gets takedowns. He gets them early and often. His takedown offense is legit. These are all cans. I know I'm putting in perspective. These are all very low-level fighters, but still, his takedown offense is not to be messed with, and his cardio is pretty good. And in the fight against Birdsong, Birdsong gets up momentarily, and Tally just slams him back to the ground as we just talked about. He finished round one in a full mounting position, raining down strikes. It goes to the bell, so he survives the first round. Mr. Birdsong, that is. In round two, more pressure, takes him down again, and gets a solid finish in that fight by TKO. Not because Birdsong was hurt, more because, again, the pressure, the pace, you know, just balling up. You know, doing this game of just balling up and can't take anymore. He does this in continuous fights. Wears guys out, round one, round two, gets on top, pace and pressure, Shows tremendous cardio. He's in good shape. He's not a heavy guy. He's not overweight. Matter of fact, I would say he's on the lighter end for this division. Probably could even make light heavyweight if he focused on losing a few more pounds. So the obvious things I like here about Rakim, solid finish rate. He's finished seven of his nine amateur fights, three of those by submission. Very good wrestler, efficient takedowns. He's very heavy on top when he gets to the ground, and he's very active when he gets to the ground. Again, this sounds easy to say about a fighter, but these are the qualities of a fighter who belongs in the PFL, who belongs possibly in Bellator one day. He's a very young fighter. He's got a hell of a wrestling game and a grappling game. And it's also an exciting form of wrestling. He doesn't just wrestle guys down and lay down there and fish for submissions. He wrestles the guys down and then he pounds the hell out of them. He either chokes them out or finishes them with ground and pound. So again, it's not a boring level of wrestling. It's actually pretty exciting. On the feet, I haven't seen much from him. But he doesn't stay on the feet. He takes the pro to the ground every single time. And last but not least, the cardio. I mean, granted, these are three minute rounds. That's important to note. So it's amateur fights. They're not the full five minutes. This will be a five minute round per round in this fight coming up. Does a check out over the course of 15 minutes. Does even go 15 minutes. The point is his pace and pressure is very active. You do have to worry about, does he run into a guy who's got good defense, survives round one, get into the second half of the fight? How does he respond? Does he wear himself out? This will be all a new environment for him from that standpoint and for his opponent too. But in those three minute fights as an amateur, 
His pace and pressure looked excellent. My only concerns I have for Rakeem, he is coming off of a loss about a year ago via Kimura. Kimura's, you know, they're, they're a unique form of submission. A good fighter can lose to a Kimura. It can happen. You get into the wrong spot. You got a guy who's decent at submissions, got strong arms. So I chalk it up as learning experience, but still he's coming off of a loss. And secondly, his overall submission defense, a little questionable. Both of his amateur losses were by submission. Now, granted, he has some submission wins too, but he's not getting knocked out, not losing by decision. He got submitted in both of his losses. He's fighting a guy that looks like he may have some submission ability in Zurita. I can't be sure of that. I'm not sure why Nagano brought him into the camp other than just trying to emulate some of the things that Gon does, but Gon is Gon a submission guy. That's an X factor I don't know about. If Zurita is good at submissions, that would be the path to possibly slowing down Rakim in this fight and maybe getting a finish. The fights we watched to break down this one, we watched Tally vs. Forrest 2017, Tally vs. Birdsong 2017, Tally vs. Williford, and Tally vs. Williams. And we watched Zorita vs. Ngannou in a sparring session. That's from 2021, so it's relevant recent film. It's spotty though. Some of the film is of Ngannou with other guys, and I wasn't impressed. He looked like a, a can who's getting served up in a sparring session. I couldn't take much from it other than the fact that I guess he's been in the gym last year. He's actually sparred with a guy who's pretty decent. Otherwise, when you look at Tally's film, you get to see a little bit more full fights. The last few notes I have these two fighters are side-by-side -side comparisons. For experience, give the edge to Rakim for the obvious reasons, fought a lot more mixed martial arts fights and has been more busy in the last few years. For fighter IQ, again, I give the edge to Rakim. He's in the octagon more often. Cardio, I can't say that Zorita doesn't have good cardio, but I can say for sure Tally does have pretty good cardio from what I've watched. Again, two, three minute rounds. The opponents he went against, they looked tired, whereas Rakim looked pretty fresh, was active, outpaced, outpressured the opponent he had. For Zorita, I assume he's got decent cardio, but I'm assuming. I don't know that. So I'm giving a slight edge there for Tally. For finishing, I give the edge to Tally. For obvious reasons, we talked about the finishing ability of Rakim Tally with nine finishes out of 11 fights. The only fight for Santino was a split decision win. That's all I can go off of. So I'm going to give the finishing edge to Tally. As for boxing ability, you know, Rakim is not much of a boxer. I'm not going to lie. His fight game is on the ground. Good strikes. Could Santino be a better boxer than him? He could. I don't know. So from a boxing standpoint, it's just up in the air. I can't really give a tilt to either side. And last but not least, the grappling edge. I think Tally has the grappling edge. I mean, his wrestling ability, his grappling ability, his pressure on the ground. Not surprised if he takes down Zorita in round one, wears the shit out of this guy, beats him up in round one, maybe finishes the fight in round one. And if not, it gets to round two, wears him out even more and finishes the fight in round two. I don't see it going in round three. I think Tally's pace and pressure and his grappling ability is a big edge in this fight. And so that's the breakdown, guys. We like Rakim Tally. I think he comes in here and he wrestle fucks Santino Zorita for about a round and a half and finishes the fight. What do you think? Does Tally look like he's a good prospect? Am I overrating him? Do you know more about Zorita? Do you have some film available on him? Maybe a friend of a friend knows where he's training. Post it here. Comment. Let us know. And we always stand to be corrected. Maybe we're overvaluing Rakeem Tally. I believe the money line opens up around minus 500 here for Tally. Probably gets steamed up throughout the week. Finishes somewhere that's unplayable around minus 700. If you want Rakeem Tally in your parlay, do it fast. When it first comes out, like on Tuesday or Wednesday, get him in your parlay. I have a lot of confidence in him. For Santino Zorita, it's the unknown, but it's not an unknown where I feel like, oh, he can come in here and just look way better. Now nah, I don't think so. I think it's a smart play here on Tally. A parlay piece. You're not going to bet him straight up. My line's going to be way too out of hand to do that. Thanks for joining us, guys. If you haven't done so already, you know the drill. Like, subscribe, share our content. We give the people what they want. It's free content, free betting information. We're going to always keep it free. Thanks for stopping by. We'll see you guys soon. Deuces. Next fight in the card is going to be a lightweight battle between two American fighters, Alexei Pergon out of Tennessee and Joe Hom out of Georgia. Hom is 31 years old and 9 months. You got Alexei here at 20 years old and 10 months. Not even 21 years old yet, so about a 10-year age discrepancy. As for Alexei, he's 4-0 as an amateur. Joe Hom is 6-1 as an amateur. 
Alexei, six foot one high with a 75 inch reach, and Joe Hamas, six foot two with a 74 inch reach. If you're wondering where I got the numbers from, if you watch their prior fights, they go over the size and the reach in those fights, but it's not listed on Tapology. You can count on us here at MMA Fight Club. We get the details for you. For Pergan, he trains out of National MMA, which is a very good gym. He got some UFC fighters in that gym. Pergan brings a balanced attack to his game. I wouldn't say he's a kickboxer or a grappler. Does a little bit of both and does a very good job in both areas. I think the strong suit for Alexei is he's a good grappler. His weakness is experience. He had about a one and a half to two year layoff not too long ago where he had a shoulder injury. Must have been a bad shoulder injury because he had about a two year layoff. As for Johan, he's a prototypical kickboxer. Very heavy kicks to the side of the body, to the front. His striking power is not to be underrated. That's probably his strongest suit is his striking power. And cardio seems to be a little bit of an issue for Ham. After round one-ish, one and a half, slows down a lot. And that's more because of his physique. He's got a very strong physique. The guy's built like a Greek god. He's got, the, he's got that chiseled form. Both guys have about three years of amateur experience. As for the topology votes, Pergan's the big favorite. About 94% of the votes, only 6% coming in for Ham. I do like Alexei Pergon. After this breakdown, you're going to probably like him even more. He's got some legit information in his background that makes him a pretty damn good fighter. This is a prime example of how you don't want to judge a book by its cover. When you look at Joe Hamm, especially in his prior fights, and he faces off against his opponent, he looks so much bigger, taller, and jacked. And you're like, man, he's going to kill this guy. And then you watch him fight, and you're like, hmm, kind of robotic at times, not very fluid with his striking, gets tired, gets taken down by smaller guys. And you're like, wait a second, this doesn't make any sense. So at first glance, you look at Alexei, who looks more like he plays tennis, versus Joe Hamm, who looks like he fights. And he's jacked and he's building. You're thinking, oh, he's going to run through this little young Russian-American prospect. Not the case. Alexei has a lot more tools in the bag. A lot more technical. Excellent on the ground. Has a tremendous background. We're going to talk about some of his fighting background. If you look on Tapology for Alexei, it's a little misleading. He's got four mixed martial arts amateur fights, and he's 4-0. All four by finish. No pro mixed martial arts fights. And he's 20 years old. You're thinking, okay, that's his fighting experience. Not the case. We're going to talk more about this as we break this fight down. Let's talk more about Alexei Pergan. Born in Tennessee, but to Russian parents. He's got some Russian DNA. And a matter of fact, his nickname is Russian DNA. Now, will he roll with that nickname into this fight? Will he use that as his <laughs> nickname in the context of what's going on around the world? If he comes out with the shirt that says Russian DNA, he wears a white shirt. Sometimes his, his corner wears the shirts with him. And it says Russian DNA down the side in red and blue with a white shirt. Those are all the colors of the flag of Russia. We'll see what happens here. Does he wear that? Does he come out with that moniker? I'm curious to see that. Anyway, born in Tennessee, long fighter with excellent reach. He's got that reach. He looks a lot like Bahamundes. So a little bit thinner, longer, great reach. Doesn't have a lot of muscle like on him. Doesn't look like very strong, but he's clearly got good striking, good range, good kicking game. A little deceiving, right? So it gets a guy like Joham, who looks like he's a bodybuilder. You're thinking Alexei gets swallowed up by him. Now Alexei's very crafty, a good striker. Not a prototypical Russian, and he wasn't born in Russia. He's not from Dagestan. An evolution of his game. Good grappling, good wrestling, but his striking game is very, very good. Now, I heard this in a broadcast, and I was like, I took a double take. He had 88 boxing matches. And I listen, that may not be true because, you know, these announcers and these commentators just pull shit out their ass and it's not accurate. But according to their stats, he had 88 boxing matches. And I'm not sure when he did that. He's only 20 years old. He had about a year and a half layoff recently because of a shoulder injury. It must have been on the junior circuit. So, for example, he's a junior Olympic medalist in 2017. He's the former ringside world champion in 2016. If you do the math on that, it's 2022, and he's 20. That would have been about five, six years ago. He'd have been like 14. But I would imagine that's all junior-level promotions. A multiple-time gold gloves champion, again, must have been junior level. But here's the point. The striking is fluid. I think this young prospect here has a big future, not just in the PFL. I think he makes his way to a top-level promotion like Bellator UFC. 
His striking is phenomenal. Only 20 years old. Not a boring fighter. Doesn't just grapple, but he can grapple. He can submit people. He's got that in the Russian DNA. But the point is his striking game is very good. A lot faster, quicker, and more technical than Johan. Alexei fought in the Valor promotion before this opportunity with the PFL. And that's a decent level promotion. He fought some cans, but decent promotion. Some of the opponents we looked at here for Alexei Pergron. He fought against Bronzan Bazorgi, 2021, round two TKO finish. He put on an elite display there. When you watch that fight, it pops out to you right away. This guy's got elite level striking. It's technical. It's straight on the pipe. Combinations. He's very flexible. He can head kick people in a second. Body kicks, lower leg kicks, the whole nine. You're like, wow, this guy is an amateur on these small little backyard promotions. He's clearly an elite striker. There's no question about it. He ends up getting a knockout in round two, and I would encourage you to watch this film. The link's down below. He knocks the guy out so bad. It's like a cartoon situation. Knocks him out. The guy's out on the feet, but hits him one or two more times. The referee steps in maybe a little bit late. The opponent falls down. But he's back against the cage. One knee is like bent underneath him. It's, it's a little awkward. And the opponent's literally just like this. Sleep. Like <sighs> sleeping. They got to wake this dude back up. Tremendous knockout. Bronson Bazorgi is an okay prospect. Not very good. Obviously not as talented as Alexei. One of the commentators actually mentions that Alexei beat one of his teammates in a boxing match. Further information that he did have this boxing career. Now, 88 boxing matches. That's a lot. All as a junior, all as like early teenage years. <laughs> Again, I can't validate that stuff. The next fight we're going to talk about is Judson Chiston, 2019 round two rear naked choke win. His first amateur bout. Comes out there, gets a nice body lock, and throws this guy to the ground. He then does something that you see in wrestling a lot, where he just allows his opponent back up. Almost like, I got the takedown, two points, let you back up, one point for you. Almost the way of the judges know, and the opponent know, I can take you down if I want to. I'm going to let you back up on the feet. I don't mind striking with you. When they're on the feet... It's elite-level striking. He outstrikes his opponent, hurts him, backs him up. Clearly wins round one. There's no question about it. In round two, comes out, takes the guy down back again. This time, doesn't let him back up. Gets back position, rear naked choke, nice smooth victory. Goes into the center of the cage, does a backflip. And I'm like, this dude Alexei is low-key athletic. Does a backflip that you're like, whoa, I just didn't see that from this guy. Doesn't look very muscly. He's got that Nate Diaz build, that Bahamundes build, that... Uh, you know, Neil Magny build, where it's like there's not a ton of muscle on him. It's very lean, but he's got that muscle in him. He's got that power. Again, this fight is one of those fights where people are going to see Joe Hahn. They're going to bet on him. and Oh, look how strong he is. Black guy, tough, you know, whatever. This little Russian wannabe kid from Tennessee. No, no, no. Do not sleep on Alexei Pergan. I think he's going to be going pretty far in this sport. At 20 years old, the future is bright. It's a good matchup. It's a good matchup. I think the money line's going to open up somewhere like minus 175. For per game, plus 150 for Johan. Now, it should be more like minus 400, in my humble opinion. But the betters are going to see these two fighters and think, oh, Johan, you know, he's got three years of fighting experience. He's got a 6-1 amateur record, more fights. Looks good, you know, on the feet. He's all strong and shit. Johan's the kind of guy where he looks like Tarzan, but he fights like Jane, if that resonates with you, if you catch my drift. Some of the things I like about Alexei, his grappling and wrestling, prototypical Russian. He does strike on the feet, does a great job, but he can wrestle and he can grapple and he can submit people, no problem. Has a very sharp left hook. I mean, very sharp. If he catches Johan with that left hook, lights out. And as we mentioned, he's very flexible. So head kicks for him are very easy. He gets his knee up very high, did a question mark kick in one of the fights I saw. So kicking game is, is versatile. From the head to the body to the legs, he can kick the guy anywhere. He's also got a solid jab. It makes sense. 88 boxing matches, supposedly. So when you watch him fight, it's fluid in the feet. Like, it's very natural, very fluid. A lot quicker. Johan maybe got a little power advantage. Maybe, maybe. He just looks like he has power advantage. But the striking technique of Alexei, 
It's quick, it's sharp. If he wants to land his jab and just want to fight on the jab alone, he could do that. That's how talented he is with the jab. And last but not least, for the things I like about Lexei, excellent head movement. You can tell he boxed. Not kickboxing, boxing. You could tell he boxed. Great head movement. When he's coming to engage his opponent, he's moving, his head's dipping in and out. He strikes, he's moving. So for head movement, that's a big plus for him. Joe Ham is one of those, like, ugh, George Foreman types. Like, you can see the punch coming. It's slow, powerful. He's off balance after he misses. Alexei Pergran is going to be able to circle him, use good footwork, good head movement, land combinations. Alexei's striking ability is elite level. When I say elite level, I mean, like, he belongs in a professional promotion. I'm not saying he's the best of the best. I'm not saying he's going to be champion right now. But it's elite. In a street fight, he would tear somebody up with his hands. His hands are quick. They're plentiful. He has power in both hands. Again, 88 boxing matches as an amateur. It shows. You can see it with the way he fights. Now, the only two weaknesses I see for Alexei, he suffered a shoulder injury in 2019. It required about a two-year layoff. He didn't fight at all in 2020 and only about one fight in the last two and a half years. That must have been a bad shoulder injury. I don't know the details of it, but it must have been a pretty bad injury for him to be out that much time. I assume now, since he's fought since then, that he's probably fully recovered. But not as active as you would like to see a guy like this who's only 20 years old be in the last few years. Again, especially since he had 88 boxing matches in his teenage years, you'd imagine the injury was pretty bad. Hopefully, it's been fully recovered. And he needs to be tested, right? If you watch his fights, he's beating up cans, amateur circuit. He hasn't really been tested. Will Joham test him? I don't know that he does. But hopefully, down the line, we get to see him matched up with a better opponent. You get to see what he's about. The PFL needs to sign this guy. This guy, in my opinion, might be one of the most talented guys on this card, along with him and Turner, both 20-year-old prospects. Very, very good fighters. If the PFL does not sign them, someone else will. These two guys are very talented. Alexei has a very bright future. Let's talk about Joe Hom, based out of Georgia. He is a southpaw. Keep in mind, he's a southpaw. It's a very unique quality. He has a phenomenal physique. The guy looks like he's in the gym every day. Before this PFL opportunity, he fought an Island Fights promotion. Some of the fights that Joe Hom had, he fought Jose Gallegos, 2021, split decision loss. He's fighting a small little Spanish guy. When they come out for the face-off, I'm like, there's no way these guys are the same weight. It doesn't look that way. Joham is like taller, thicker, which doesn't make sense. If you, you could be taller, that's fine, but you can't be taller and thicker than the opponent. And he was. During the face-off, I'm like, how does this go to a split decision loss? Like, how does this happen? You watch the entire fight. He gets taken down. He gets ragdolled consistently throughout the entire fight, especially in the round two and three when he gets a little tired. He gets ragdolled. The opponent doesn't do much of striking. Jose doesn't do any really good striking. But on the ground, he's on top, top control, position control. This fight's being held in a ring, so you got the ropes, which saves Joham a few times from getting taken down even easier. At one point, you got Joham trying to defend a takedown, and I watched this very specifically. He's defending a takedown. He looks over at his corner, and his corner is like yelling at him, like, hey, get an underhook. Joe, get the underhook. And Joe's like, okay, okay, okay. Gets his arm under, gets the underhook, defends the takedown successfully, and gets back to a normal neutral situation. On one hand, you're like, okay, that's great. He's very coachable. He's listening. On the other hand, it's like, you need a coach to tell you in that moment to get an underhook to defend the takedown? Like, are you training? Are you, do, you, do you watch this sport? It's just like a low fighter IQ moment mixed in with a you're very coachable moment. I took from that that he lacks experience in grappling. Just not a very good grappler. At one point in that fight, he tries to get a takedown, and he misses the takedown. He throws himself down on the ground. If you can imagine that. He goes to sweep the guy and throw him on the ground. Gets off balance, he throws himself on the ground. In that fight against Gallegos, he got taken down every single round. Tons of position control time he lost. And a few times he gets up his back in the process of trying to get up or get out of a you know, control position for the opponent. If he gets up his back to Alexei, lights out. Alexei will rear naked choke his ass immediately. In this fight, Joham has to show a big improvement in grappling to be able to survive Alexei. In the prior fights like this against Jose Gallegos, 
It was terrible. He got taken down every single round of that fight. And you look at Jose Gallegos. No offense. That guy looks like he's just some average guy delivering mail. Doesn't have much strength. Okay, striking. So then it goes to the scorecards. The scorecards go to a split decision. And that is a terrible split decision. It should have been clearly 30-27 for the other fighter. No question. He gives up tons of control time. Doesn't do shit on his feet. Got completely beaten that fight. Was very tired after round one. And the other fighter there, Jose Galagos, clearly won the fight. Now, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't exciting. It was the main event for that card. But it never should have been a split decision. That's a bullshit call. So when you look at Tapology, that's one of those fights where some of the cappers will be like, oh, he got a split decision uh, loss against Jose Galagos. Watch the fight, dude. Watch the fucking fight. He lost the fight on every scorecard that's actually got two eyes. You can see the fight. He had no chance of winning that fight against a guy who looks like he's delivering my mail. And I mean that in a positive way. I don't see mailmen out there looking jacked and shit. I just mean that guy looks like he's a very average person, doesn't look like a fighter, much shorter, like five inches shorter than Johan, and has no build on him. And Johan comes out there looking like a Greek god and just gets manhandled. How does that fucking happen? Next fight, Robbie Taylor, 2020, round two KO, win. He looked fresher in this fight. He did look like he had a better gas tank. This fight was before that Galagos fight. It's prior to this last fight we just talked about, which means somehow he got worse between that Galagos fight and the Taylor fight. Anyway, Robbie Taylor, 2020, round two KO win. He looked fresh in that fight. He landed some heavy shots in round one and two, and that's the best look of him. Like, he's got the power, that George Foreman striking power. It's slow, but if it lands, it's going to be trouble for anybody. At one point, his opponent just balls up on the floor. Like, I had enough. He just starts pounding the guy out. It looked to me like Robbie Taylor just didn't have very good cardio and gave up. And at one point, he's on the ground, just balled up, didn't get hurt, just was tired. And you got Joe Helm on top of him, just like a beast, just, you know, pounding him down, hammer fist, strikes to the body, strikes to the side of the head. One thing about that fight that I noticed about Joe Helm, his kicking game was also much better. There's some very heavy kicks, like kicks to the body, front kicks, kicks in combinations, like a front kick and then a side kick. And that's where I say he's more of a kickboxer. When he's on his A game and his cardio checks out, he could be a problem in that area. And last but not least, Malik Kamika. He fought him in 2020, round two TKO. Like the prior two fights we just talked about, he had a huge size advantage. He's like standing, he's towering over this guy. Like they're doing the face-off. He's looking down at the guy like, hey, what's up, little boy? And you're thinking, okay, he's going to kick the shit out of this guy. And he does, round two TKO win. But here's the thing, though. Like these guys are really low level. They're not at the level of Alexei. He's not going to be able to get to Alexei like this. Alexei has too much good head movement, footwork, boxing experience. Excellent grappling submission game at this level for 20 years old. Johan is not a can, but he's got deficiencies. Cardio. If the fight gets to round two, Alexei's going to just take him to the ground, beat him up, rear naked choke. In round one, how does Alexei finish the fight? With his hands. But here's the big issue. Johan has cardio problems, right? We talked about this. He hasn't fought in a five-minute round fight. This will be the first pro fight for both guys. If it goes to minute four and a half, minute three and a half, round one, I think Johan is going to be tired. I think Alexei could do whatever he wants to at that point. If it goes to round two, Johan will be completely exhausted, especially if he's trying to fight to get off the ground. That's what happened to him in the Jose Galagos fight. This guy's smaller than him, but taking him down, controlling position, and Johan gets exhausted trying to get back up. His physique is the kind of physique where you can see. It just creates a problem for him where he ends up wasting a lot of energy. All of his strikes are high power. He misses them, gets off balance, draining the gas tank. Some things I do like about Johan, though, he fought six times in the last two years, three times last year, and three times in 2020. And he's also usually the bigger guy. For whatever matters, he's usually the bigger, taller guy. In this matchup, he'll have maybe a one-inch height advantage, a one-inch reach disadvantage, because Alexei is very long. They'll look about the same height. In prior fights, Johan just looked at the much bigger guy. In this situation, he'll look the thicker guy. He'll look stronger looking. He'll be about the same height as his opponent, maybe a little bit taller, but don't let your eyes deceive you. <laughs> now, some of the weaknesses for Johan, we talked about them already. Takedown defense, no. Not very good at takedown defense. He's fighting against a guy who has very good takedown offense. 
Johan's also very flat-footed. He walks down his opponent slow. Again, like George Foreman. If you don't know who George Foreman is, go on YouTube. Look up the old videos of him fighting and boxing. Tons of power, but like just no technique. Walking down his opponents, terrible footwork, easy to take down, easy to get to a back position on this guy. He's got very limited head movement, and when he starts exchanging with his punches, his hands are like out here doing this game. His head's right there. If Alexei tags his ass in round one, TKOs him, I'm not surprised at all. Johan has very poor boxing skills from a technical standpoint. Power, yes. But technical skills are not there. The best way for Johan to strike is with his legs. His kicking game is pretty good, but the striking with his hands uh, gets a little bit ugly. He's wide open for a counter. He's also got a very stiff posture, like very robotic. You can understand what I'm saying here. He's got that like Hannah Goldie posture where it's like, uh, you know, like you just can't do much with it against a very fluid boxer like Alexei. He's going to get pieced apart in the feet. God forbid this fight actually goes to the scorecards. Alexei's going to whoop his ass over the entire fight. Ton more volume. A lot more strikes. Johan will maybe land one or two big strikes, and we'll see could Alexei take it. Again, boxing background, has a decent chin. He's also going to see it coming from a mile away. So with Johan, very stiff physique, super strong. He looks tight. He looks like he's like, like burning through his energy level. And over the course of, what, a two-round fight, three-round fight, he's going to burn through his gas tank. It's going to rear its ugly head anytime he goes to a longer fight. The other fighter takes him to deeper waters. He's going to get gassed out. That's the bottom line. The film we watched for these two fighters, we watched Pergan versus Chastian, 2019. Pergan vs. Bazorgi, 2021. Ham vs. Kamaka, Ham vs. Taylor, and Ham vs. Gallegos. Watch the Gallegos fight. If you're going to watch any of these fights here, watch the Gallegos fight. You'll see what I'm talking about. Joe Ham has a great physique. He's in super duper good shape. He's obviously training very hard. But the fighting style, the stiffness, you know, this constant stress he's under, he's never comfortable. He's not loose. That drains the gas tank. Now you get him on the ground, trying to get back up. Powerful movements, nothing is smooth, it's all very like, er, er, er. It's gonna drain the gas tank. If this fight somehow makes it to round two, or even goes to round three, Alexei will have such a speed advantage, and power advantage, and cardio advantage, and quickness advantage, it's gonna be all over this guy. I'm surprised if it goes a distance. If it does go the distance, I give jo Johan a lot of credit. That means he's improved some of his cardio. For Alexei Pergan, how does he lose? He gets one of those big shots from Johan, it lands, or a big kick, and he surprises everybody, and he beats a young prospect. I personally believe that PFL is giving this fight to Alexei because they want to see him win. They want to see him move forward. It's a good-looking prospect in Johan that he's got a decent record. He looks like the part. But when you watch film, then you're going to see what I'm talking about. Alexei Pergran is eons above Johan. Then the money line comes out here kind of close because, again, the look of things. Alexei, probably about minus 175, minus 200 when it first opens. Take it. Take it. Bet on this fight. Betting this guy, he's going places. I'm going to parlay him. I have a lot of confidence in Alexei this weekend. If he loses, <laughs> I'm going to look like a fucking idiot. But I think Alexei is the guy to win this fight. I think it's a perfect matchup for him. For Johan, let's see if you can stay on your feet at times when Alexei decides to take you to the ground. And if you get to the ground, do not give up your back. Do not give up your back to a Russian. It's just a fatal flaw. The last few notes I have these two fighters. For experience, I'm going to give the edge to Alexei. Even though Johan has fought more mixed martial arts amateur bouts, the 88 boxing matches that Alexei fought as a junior, the junior 2017, junior Olympic, whatever, medalist, and the Golden Gloves accolades, he's fought a lot more than the four amateur fights you see here on Tapology. Don't get it twisted. For Fighter IQ, a big edge to Alexei. He has more tools in the, in the tool bag here for this fight. Johan, on the feet, decent kickboxer, cannot grapple, cannot defend against grappling, no submission game, no wrestling game, gets off balance, the fighter IQ is clearly on the side of Alexei. For cardio, again, I'm on the side of Alexei. His build, his fluidity, how he fights, he's more relaxed. You got Johan, like, ugh, just all ratcheted up and all stiff. 
Finishing ability, again, I'm on the side of Alexei. I think Johan has potential finishing ability, power in his hands and his feet. But Alexei's got four straight finishes in an amateur as a mixed martial artist. I'm not surprised. He could knock you out or he could submit you. For boxing, again, much more fluid, much more technical for Alexei. And last is the grappling department. Across the board, experience, IQ, cardio, finishing ability, boxing ability, and grappling, I all favor those to Alexei. As you can see, I like Alexei a lot. Hopefully, I'm not going to create some bad juju. The young prospect gets beat here by Johan. And if he does get beat by Johan, he's 20 years old in 10 months. He'll be 21 years old in a few months. He's got a bright future. He's based in the United States. He's not out of Russia. He's out of Tennessee. He's out of a good gym there in Tennessee, National MMA. That's the breakdown, guys. I like Alexei a lot in this fight to win over Johan. We'll see what the money line opens up at. I'm projecting around minus 175 to minus 200. I can't be sure. You'll have Johan at like plus 150 to plus 175 on the other side. Should be a good fight here for Alexei. I'm looking forward to seeing this bout. Good luck with this one, guys, if you're betting on it. If you haven't done so already, please like and subscribe, and we're on to the next one. The co-main event for PFL Challenger Series 7 is going to be a lightweight battle at 155 pounds between the American fighter Christian the Titan Turner and the Cuban fighter Cheyenne Serrano. As with a lot of the fights in this card, there's a lot of things I don't know. I'm going to tell you what I do know, and it's not much. Hard to find filming these guys, hard to find any details. We can't even confirm the height and reach on some of these fighters, but we'll do the best we can here to patch this together. So as for Mr. Turner, he's 4-0 as an amateur. He's currently based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Last I heard, he's out of American Top Team. Very good gym down there, especially for an amateur fighter. He's surrounded by top-level guys, professional coaches, belt holders, the whole nine, UFC caliber fighters. It's good gym for a guy who's only 20 years old. As we mentioned before, height and reach, we don't have all those details, but watching film on Turner, I think he's more like 6 feet in height with probably a 75-inch reach. Very long reach. Very long fighter, lean, but I don't want to say he's skinny. He's not weak, he's lean, okay? That's just the way he's built. As for Cheyenne Serrano, five years old at 25 years old, also based out of the Southeast. He's currently based out of Halea, Florida. Again, Cuban descent, makes sense. A lot of Cubans are in Florida. He's a six and one amateur record. For height and reach, I'm going to guesstimate around five foot eight to five foot nine in height with about a 72 inch reach. Based upon my calculations, Turner should have a height and reach advantage. His striking is pretty good for an amateur. Serrano, mm, okay, he's not really... Terrible on his feet, but not amazing either, which we'll talk about when we get more into the details of their fighters that they fought before. As for fighting styles, Christian Turner is a very balanced fighter, but clearly on the feet, that's his future. Long range, kickboxing activity with the feet, with the hands. It should be noted, as an amateur, they fight with the pads on their shins and like on their foot. No more for that. So for Serrano, who likes to use lower leg kicks, and that's good when you got pads on your legs, it doesn't feel the same when you're kicking with your shin bone, basically, against the lower leg of an opponent. We'll see how that plays out. But just want to put it out there. These guys are fighting for the first time in a professional environment where they're not going to have any pads down below. It's no holds bar. Elbows are allowed. In some of these amateur bouts, you can't use elbows. There's obviously padding. This is a big upgrade for both fighters. We'll see who can make the transition better. The things that I think Turner's very good at, I mentioned the striking game. He's very good in his feet. A decent grappler, but he's a guy who's only been training for about two years. Still very raw. Doesn't have a wrestling or grappling background. Doesn't have any BJJ credentials that we know of. But on the feet, that's his strength. Kickboxing. As for Cheyenne Serrano, also a stand-up fighter. Doesn't throw for a lot of power, okay striking. I do like the fact that he switches stances, and that's notable for him. So he gives a different look to the fighter who's in front of him. Now, the weaknesses for both fighters, same thing. They both don't have experience on the ground. For Serrano in particular, we'll talk more about that when we go over some of his prior fights. He is not very good on the ground. For Turner, I just haven't seen him on the ground. I imagine, again, at ATT in Atlanta, he's getting some grappling in, working on the ground game. For this fight, it shouldn't play a big part. I think both fighters want to be on the feet, use their striking. For Turner, again, use his distance advantage and use his height advantage. As for fighting styles, I would categorize both of these guys as prototypical young amateur kickboxers. That's the meat of their game. Now, looking at the numbers on Tapology, the votes are coming in heavy for Turner, 94% to be exact, which leads me next to talk about the money line. We don't have the money line yet. 
I'm going to speculate, pure speculation. This opens up like minus 400 for Turner. In my humble opinion, when you watch film on him, he seems to be clearly the better talent right now. Now, for Toronto, he's not a terrible fighter, but when you watch film, it just becomes very evident. Turner's a little quicker. He's got a little more spunk in his punches. It probably opens up around minus 400 for Christian Turner. It gets steamed over a few days, ends up somewhere like minus 700, minus 800 before the fight goes off. If you went in on this fight and you want to parlay it, get it early. I imagine by Tuesday, Wednesday this week, they should have the lines open on DraftKings, on FanDuel. And if you want a piece of this fight, get it early. Christian Turner, I believe, wins the fight, no question. Let's talk about Christian Turner first. 4-0 amateur record with three KO finishes. He's only been training for two years, and the guy's 20 years old. No wrestling background in high school, no high-profile like profile athletic background, didn't go to college and play multiple sports. He's not even old enough to drink legally in the United States. Guy is very raw, but in the two years he's been doing this, he's been busy. Last year, he fought four mixed martial arts fights as an amateur. All of this is pretty new to him, and that's why, again, the grappling game, the, the ground game, the wrestling game is still very raw for him. The striking game... That's where it looks more natural to him. Again, three KO finishes and four amateur fights. For a guy who's only been training for two years, he looks pretty damn good. It looks very natural to him. How did he get into this? A local police officer around the way where he grew up at, kind of in a lower income area. That's a nice way to put it. Didn't have a lot of money growing up. He talks about this local police officer that he knew that was kind of cool with the young people, cool with the people in the neighborhood, but just a badass. I guess that he describes this guy as being a person you would be a little scared of. Nonetheless, it became a mentor to him. The mentorship led him towards mixed martial arts. The guy approached him and said, listen, I know you're a pretty boy. You've always got the nice threads on. The girls like you. What about getting to the gym? This whole mixed martial arts thing is blowing up. You should get a piece of this. At first, he was like, nah, I want to keep a clean face. I don't want to get into that. The cop continued to pursue it, tried to mentor him, tried to get him put in the right direction. So that's how he got into mixed martial arts. He did an interview about two years ago. He was 19 at the time. That interview, that link is down below. It was done with some podcasters who also interviewed his opponent in that same podcast before they fought. Good interview. For 20 years old, 19, 20 years old in that interview, the dude was so mature, not cocky, not talking about, you know, I'm the best, I'm going to be a champion one day. No, humble, talked about the mentorship from the police officer, talked about his respect for the game, talked about how much he praised his coaches and the gym he's at and how good they were and how he learned so much. Basically just humble pie. I took a lot from the interview and the fact that this guy is very mature for a 20 year old fighter. Now the two opponents that we could find a little bit of film on was against Dominic Colangelo. That was 2021 last year, around one KO win. Colangelo is now three and three as an amateur with three straight losses. So not the best of competition. In that fight, Dominic Colangelo gets overwhelmed by the younger fighter. The younger fighter has just more spunk, has more behind the punches. He gets a TKO finish at a minute and eight seconds of round one. In the fight, what you see is pretty good boxing power. The technique is it's getting there. It's not amazing technique. Sometimes he gets to throwing these big looping punches, got excited, especially when he hurt his opponent, got excited, started throwing bad technique punches. But, you know, it's hard for a young fighter seeing that you're about to get that finish and trying to keep yourself composed. But the boxing was pretty good. Again, for a 20-year-old amateur, I thought it looked pretty damn good. He actually has the basics. He has the tools in place. Just needs to stick to it. Can't get away from the technique. And then William Gilstrap, he beat him last year, round two TKO. That fight, there's a little more film of it. And again, these links are down below. Now, notable things about this fight. The fight was supposed to be fought at a certain weight class. And shortly before the fight happened, the opponent, Gilstrap, couldn't make weight, I guess. They moved the fight up to another heavier weight class. When they square off in that fight, this other guy he's fighting is much shorter. Because again, you've got a lot of height here with Turner. But man, the other guy was much bigger. Like, much thicker. And not thicker, bad, like fat. He gets a body lock on this guy. Turns in the air, slams him to the ground. And I'm like, holy shit, what a strong-ass move for a young fighter, like 20 years old. In the post-fight interview, he talks about how, man, that dude is tough, he's strong, he's got that grown man strength. Again, just a nice character, positive vibes. The guy's not looking to put people down. Took the fight anyway. 
Now, obviously, as an amateur, you can't be turning shit down. But he took that fight, even though it was at a higher weight class, higher than what he came in as. The guy's very thick, comes in there, the guy's older, and still cleans his clock and wins. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is that's the only fight that William Gilstrap fought. And he didn't look great. Couldn't take the punching power by Turner. And mind you, Turner's power, it's relative to who he's fighting. He probably doesn't translate to maybe a higher level opponent. But in that fight, his hands look good. They're quicker. He takes a guy out who's older, heavier, has the weight advantage, does a great job, takes him to the ground at one point. Just shows you a little bit about this kid. He's confident, but not cocky. He's not going to complain or bitch. He's going to take fights. So I think he has the ingredients, let's put it that way, to make it in the sport. He's only 20 again. So where is he going to be at in five years from now, six years from now? Only better. If he stays in Atlanta at that same gym, only going to get older, more mature, obtain more skills, put on maybe some more man strength. In any case, he takes out William Gilstrap at a round two TKO. It was more, I believe, that William Gilstrap is really, really not a good fighter. Kind of got tired, couldn't take any more punches, and so he you know, taps out. Post-fight again, good interview. Both fighters hug, a lot of you know kind words. And you can see again, this guy is not a hater. He does, He's not full of hate. That's not how he rolls. A positive young man, and it, it oozes off of him. The positivity oozes off of him, which I love that. Because in this sport right now, last few weeks, the stuff that's going on outside the octagon, heck, the stuff going on in the world with Ukraine, whatever else, we don't need more negativity. We need more positive people out there who find the glass half full instead of half empty. The things I like about Mr. Turner, he's young, making improvements. There's nothing like being a young whippersnapper. And he is a young guy making improvements, open to being coached. Not like I know it all. No, he wants to be coached. He wants to learn things. He acknowledges the mentors and coaches around him. So I think this guy is growing a lot every single day in this sport. We mentioned the reach advantage. He'll have a reach advantage in this fight and probably a lot of his fights. He's very tall for this weight class. Again, not skinny. He's lean. He's got some strength there. You know those guys that look skinny? You know, don't look very strong. But then when push comes to shove, you're like, damn, that guy's actually pretty strong. He's that kind of fighter. So I don't want to say he's skinny and weak. He's got good length and his striking game is natural. Like this guy's only been doing this for about a year and a half, two years. It's not like he had an amateur kickboxing background or he grew up in Thailand and started fighting when he was nine years old. No, he didn't even wrestle in high school. He's a guy who's by his terms, quote unquote, a pretty boy, making sure his threads were nice, talking to a lot of girls, had a good social life. And now here he is at the age of 20 years old, having picked this up about a year and a half ago, two years ago. Some of what you see from him on this fight is just natural skills. The guy's got good natural ability. It's being coached up. It's being improved. But I like the fact that when he strikes, it's fluid for him. He's not overthinking. It just comes off his hands. And not for nothing, grew up in a tough neighborhood. If you don't know how to fight and you're in a tough neighborhood, you're going to get your ass whooped. <laughs> Possibly some street fights, some uncles, you know, parental figures in his life told him how to, you know, swing those hands, which is always good to have when you're growing up in a tough environment. And last but not least, love the high activity four amateur bouts last year now mind you those bouts are like two minute three minute rounds but still four amateur fights last year now my only concerns for mr turner are he hasn't fought anybody of quality he has just fought very low level opponents he does his job wins his fight but what happens when he get tested what happens when there's a guy in there who's better is that going to be this guy cheyenne i don't believe so but i'm just putting it out there we don't know much about him kind of like borshev last week how many people were like oh borshev slava claus you know taking shots at Diakisi. Oh, Diakisi's not a good fighter. I was one of the people downing Diakisi. Like, oh man, he's terrible. Taps out so early. And then all of a sudden he comes in there, does a veteran move, grapples Borshev for three full rounds. And Borshev is like, I got nothing for this guy because I can't wrestle and I can't grapple. That won't happen in this fight because Cheyenne is terrible on the ground, which we'll talk about. But I'm just saying, there's the big unknown here. If you want to take a stab at the dog and the line's like minus, you know, 700 for Turner, and then you got like a plus 450, plus 500 on the other guy, then take it. We just don't know enough to say for sure, oh, he's going to be much better than this guy. He's 20 freaking years old. This may very well be his toughest opponent, only because he hasn't fought many good guys. When you look at the topology, these are guys who fought maybe one fight, 
0-3 records, guys that don't have much going for them, some of them not even fighting anymore. The bottom line is he just hasn't been tested. We can't extrapolate too much from who he's fought against, only that he looks pretty good when he fights cans. <laughs> and last but not least, the wrestling. It won't be a factor in this fight. If you're like a nine-year-old kid in Dagestan, and they say, oh, have you done wrestling? Yeah, they probably do wrestling over there like they do their ABCs. The bottom line is he doesn't have that background that needs to be improved. If he were to get a takedown in this fight, which he got the takedown against Gilstrap, which we talked about, that's an easy path to victory. He wins rounds easily in this fight because Serrano is terrible at wrestling and terrible at getting up. Will he use that? We'll see what happens. I could see him doing it for some part of the fight, but in his heart of hearts, he probably wants to knock out here on the feet, wants to use his natural tools, his natural gift, the length, and for Serrano, that's where he wants to be as well. Both fighters will probably look to be on the feet, but the takedown opportunity will be there for him. As for Mr. Serrano, the Cuban fighter, six and one amateur record, pretty good, four finishes. His first amateur fight was 2018, so about four years of amateur experience. He knows how to fight in both stances, southpaw or traditional stance. I like that. It's a way to confuse your opponent. Good footwork. Now, he's not high-energy footwork like jumping around the octagon and on his bicycle, but the point is when he switches stances, it's very natural for him. I know he's Cuban because he flew the Cuban flag in one of his fights. The name Serrano is a Cuban name. The first name Cheyenne is not Cuban. I'm a little surprised he got more like a Native American name. He lost to Sean Mora in 2020 by decision. Now, Sean Mora is not a terrible fighter. 4-1 amateur career and 2-0 as a pro. If you want to watch some wonky-ass shit, and I love doing breakdowns in these lower-level fighters, low-level promotions, you see environments that are just like, what's going on over there? Or, or is that the judge? Or what's that referee doing? In this fight, I'm not kidding you, the referee almost like smacks Sean Mora because the round ends in a little squirrely. Both guys are kind of going back and forth. And the ref, like, smacks him in the chest. It's like, get back. And I'm like, oh, my God, dude. Like, what if the fighter just punched the referee back in the face? It's just a very interesting match. If you want to hear some bad commentating, here you go. Serve it up. The commentators are like, oh, Mora's, like, a bad fighter. Uh, Mora, you know, shouldn't be allowed to fight. It all stems from, I think, after round two ends, the bell rings. And there's a little bit of, like, a, a kick from Mora while his opponent's in the ground. Okay? So you've got... Serrano on his back, and there's like a kick, like a kick almost down to the stomach of the fighter, but it doesn't land. It was more like a, hey, you know, fuck you, whatever. I guess it was an exchange of words, and so he does that. Referee then smacks <laughs> Mora in the chest and tells him to back up, get over to his corner. There's some talking back and forth. Now the commentators, here we go, because Mora is like, you know, dark skin, and you got a little bit of tinge of racism in some of these damn commentators at times. Commentators are like, oh, he shouldn't be allowed to fight. Uh, you know, that's terrible. He's done this before. We move on to the next round. Both corners are warned. Mora's warned. And here we go back to the ground again. Because in round one, Mora takes down Serrano right away. And Serrano never gets back up. Spends the entire, what, two minutes, I guess, now, amateur fight. On his back. Never even gets close to getting up. Round two starts. You're thinking now he should be angry, right? Because it's exchange after round one. No. Gets taken down immediately. Again. And I'm like... Jesus, this guy's got terrible takedown defense. It's a small cage. It doesn't help him any. And Mora's just grinding him on the ground, beating him up. And uh, the end of the round comes around. And as the bell sounds again, there's another exchange after the bell sounds. And this time, it's like real huffy and puffy. You got coaches coming into the cage. You got all kind of people in there. You got security, I guess. I don't know. It's it's now to the point where it looks like it's might even going to be stopped. Maybe a disqualification. Of course, the announcer's like, oh, disqualification. I don't see how they can let this fight go on like this. Uh, Mora should be disqualified and, and on and on. It's some kind of a belt, too. It's some kind of a championship belt for that promotion. Once they calm people down, they get the referee in the middle. Referee standing there with both hands of both fighters. 
and they go to judges scorecards and it's 30-27 on all three judges scorecards for Mora. And why? Because Serrano never can get the fuck up off the ground. He got wrestled down in all three rounds and spent his entire time on his back, never got close to getting up. Granted, Mora's 2-0 as a pro, 4-1 as an amateur. He's not a slouch, decent fighter. So the commentators are just panties up in a wide. Like, oh, I can't believe this. <laughs> I can't believe this guy's allowed to fight. You know, they expect these fighters to be like classy people holding their, their tea with the perfect hand. Like, these are fucking cage fighters, dude. And low-level promotions. Give it a break. So if you want to hear some wonky shit and a bunch of nonsense from Homer announcers, that's a fight to watch. Not the worst loss. Like, the loss is not the problem there. The issue becomes... Was that just one fight where Serrano gets taken down and can't get back up? No. That's not the only fight. Let's talk about the next fight. Riley Boomer, 2021, round two KO win. Now, Riley Boomer is one in six as an amateur. Full on can. He won his first amateur fight and then from there dropped his next six amateur fights, including a loss here to Serrano. And guess what happens in round one of that fight? You're probably going to guess. Serrano gets taken down immediately by Boomer. It happens right away. Like 10 seconds into round one. I'm like, oh, dude, like... You have no takedown defense? This guy is trash. One in six amateur record. Hasn't won like since, you know, a few years ago. You come in there with a little bit of hype and the better record, the Cuban fighter, all this stuff, and you get taken down right away where you're not training on takedown defense? So it's not about Sean Moore being a good takedown artist or being a better fighter or being 2-0 as a pro. This guy cannot defend takedowns. Back over to Turner. Turner took down a guy who was much bigger and thicker than him, picked the motherfucker up with a body lock, and then slammed him down. If he wants to take down Serrano in this fight, Turner that is, he will take him down with ease. Turner does not defend takedowns. One of the takedowns he gave up, he sprawled. Like, he's he's in full sprawl. Like, it looks good. And then somehow the guy takes a leg and just puts him on his back, goes into guard. So in the fight against Riley Bomber, the amazing one-in-six amateur fighter, he clearly loses round one. He's on his back the entire round. And just like the fight against Mora, he does not get up. Not even close to getting up. Guess what happens in round two? He gets taken down again immediately when the round starts. He gets taken down. I'm like, Jesus Christ, dude. Someone give this guy a clue. Defend the fucking takedowns. Difference in round two, though, is that Bomber's getting tired. Now, mind you, he spent the entire time on top in round one. He shouldn't be that tired. He's just tired. He's not a good fighter. Doesn't have good cardio. So the fight initially starts in round two with him on top. And at some point, by some stroke of luck, Serrano reverses positions and he gets on top, lands a bunch of ground strikes, much more energy at that point in the fight. The fight finishes with. Bomber just on the ground, covered up, TKO loss, more from fatigue than anything else. If Bomber had a gas tank, or Boomer, however you want to pronounce it, if Riley Boomer had a gas tank, he runs through Serrano in that fight. He takes him down the entire time. That's the same thing Mark Diakisi did to Borshev. This guy, look, has terrible takedown defense. I cannot say it enough. And the next fight we found, by a stroke of luck, on YouTube, Brandon called Wallader. 2021 fight. It's not in his topology, so that's why I say it's kind of by luck. This guy doesn't have a good amateur record, has terrible cardio. You expect Serrano to come in here if he's a good prospect. Beat this guy up. Pretty simple, right? Now it goes to decision. And to me, that's another glaring issue. Here's a guy, not very good fighter, not very good winning percentage. And of course, you, you guessed it. In that fight, Serrano gets taken down <laughs> again by a very low-level guy who doesn't have very good cardio. Now, if you're watching film on a guy like you know Serrano and you want to beat him, just, just watch the film. Just take him down. You could take him down. My cat could take him down. My, my wife could probably take this guy down. I know, I'm just being funny. I, I'm just putting it out there that his takedown defense is some of the worst takedown defense I've ever seen. He clearly did not wrestle in his background, did not wrestle in high school. In summary, he wins that fight by decision. But once again, the takedown happens, and not only does he get taken down easily, motherfucker cannot get back up. If he gets taken down, that's it. He loses that round. That's it. He's waiting for the next round to, 
have the referee bring him back up in the feet. The things I like about Serrano, and there's not many after I just gave that scathing review of his fights, but I'm going to give the best things I do find about this young man. Decent striker. He's got okay hands. I mean, when he's running combinations with a kicking game and a striking game, it's decent. It looks okay. Again, who is it against? It goes for both fighters. Not very high-level opponents. We don't know if that translates to when he's fighting a better opponent. And I mentioned, he does throw in combination. I like the fact he's not just a one-punch guy. He's throwing multiple punches followed by kicks. He does have a good lower leg kick game, but it depends on how you look at it. They're not very hard. They're more like just touching. And there's pads on the shins. Every, every fight he's fought so far are amateur fights. He's never fought without the pads there. If you try to kick somebody hard with no pads on your shin, you can do more damage to yourself than the person you're kicking. Not to mention, they're not hard kicks. So if he tries to strike Turner here with some lower leg kicks just to get him off balance, but they're not very hard, that's not going to discourage Turner from coming forward. It's not going to do much of anything. But when he switches stances, it could be an issue. If he evolves in that area of his game, he is also very young too. That could be a path, at least disrupting the forward momentum of someone like Turner, who is a very long fighter, has long legs. Now, some of the issues I have with Serrano, I talked about already, poor takedown defense and cannot get the hell back up. He also doesn't have much power behind his punches. Now, I'm giving you my opinion. He could have power behind his punches, and I'm not seeing it. But based upon watching him fight and who he fights against, he comes off more as a points fighter. And that's okay, too. There's nothing wrong with that. He's a young fighter. He's learning the game. But there's more touching going on with his hands and his feet and not as much power. I don't think as much power as on the other side here that Turner has. And last but not least, he fought one MMA fight last year. Not a big deal. It's still one fight last year. But you got four fights being fought last year by Turner. A lot more activity. It's going to be a little more of a ring rust for Serrano compared to Turner, who's in there more frequently. The fights we watched right on this film, we watched Turner versus William Gilstrap. That was 2021, round two TKO. We watched Serrano versus Sean Mora, 2020 decision. And then we watched Riley Boomer, 2021 versus Serrano, round two TKO. Those three fights are down below, along with a link to the interview we mentioned before with Turner. Watch the interview. It's a little bit of a lengthy interview. You got both fighters in there. The first part's with two or three podcasters talking to the opponent. And then the other part of the interview is like two or three podcasters talking to Turner Again, you take a lot away from that because you get to know who this guy is. As you know here at MMA Fight Club, we like to do deep dives and get to know these fighters and some personal information about them. We couldn't do as much in this fight because you have two very amateur fighters, very low-level guys that are just breaking into the scene. But I would encourage you to watch the interview with Turner. It gives you a glimpse into who the person is. And to me, that's important. I want to know who these fighters are. I'm not best friends with them. I'm looking to make friends with them. But it gives me a glimpse into what's the makeup. You know, What's the DNA that brings somebody to the cage that makes them a fighter? Were they looking to fight when they were younger? Did they have a boxing background? Whatever the case may be, when you look at the backgrounds, you come across things like this with Turner. Very mature. Has his shit together. He's composed. You get that right away from the interview. Now, I'm not saying that Serrano's not composed and not mature either. No, I'm not saying that. But if you take the time to watch this interview, I think you'll take the same thing from it that we did, which is a lot of maturity, an old man and a young man's body. He's got goals. He wants to have a good future. I'm very appreciative. The last few notes I have these two fighters, experience-wise, about equal. They both have a few amateur fights under the belt. For fighter IQ, I do edge towards Christian Turner for two reasons. One, the striking game is comparable to his opponent, but he's shown the ability to take someone down. And Serrano has no takedown defense, again, has no ability to defend himself on the ground, can't get back up. As for cardio, both guys looked okay later in their fight, but I don't have a reason to say Turner's going to be better in cardio than Serrano. Both guys check out with their cardio. For finishing ability, Three straight KO wins for Christian Turner. Serrano has like two or three decisions out of his seven fights as an amateur. One, he lost by decision. I think two others he won by decision. Not a big deal, but when you look at Christian Turner, he's coming here three straight fights by winning by KO all last year. I think he punches a little bit harder. I think he has better hands. And if the fight goes to the ground, I'm not surprised if he gets a rear naked choke or something. You're talking about Serrano has no ground skills. Christian Turner is training at ATT in Atlanta. He has good training partners. I'm sure he's working on the ground game. 
I think if there's going to be a finish here, it's going to be on the side of Turner getting the finish. For boxing ability, Cheyenne Serrano has a multitude of different ways to strike. Kicking game, hand, but just not much power behind those strikes. Christian Turner has just as much technique as Serrano, maybe even better technique with his striking. Size advantage, height advantage, reach advantage, and punches for more power. So I think in the boxing realm, there's also an advantage there for Turner. And last but not least, the grappling department. Let's not beat a dead horse. <laughs> Cheyenne Serrano may very well be one of the worst grapplers and wrestlers that I've watched in recent history. Granted, this is a low-level fight. Neither guy has fought a single mixed martial arts pro fight. What do we expect? But in the case of Christian Turner, I don't have a lot of film on him either. Not a former wrestler, not a former high school wrestler, not a former state champion. But the one little glimpse of him taking down that bigger guy with a body lock, it was impressive. If he does that against Serrano, he's got the easiest path to victory. Not sure if he gets a ground and pound, but just lay and pray, chew up points, keep top position, maybe land some nice sharp elbows. He's got very long arms, got those sharp elbows. In any case, that's the breakdown, boys and girls. I did the best I could to extrapolate whatever I could from their background. If you know something more than we know, if you have some more details, share with us. Leave some comments. We always stand to be corrected. If we've misspoke or we had something wrong on these two fighters, let us know. With that said, guys, I like Turner. I think he's just simply a good step up over Serrano. For Serrano, he'll probably put together a good fight, but I don't think he's going to match the striking power of Turner. I think Turner comes out of here with a win. Remember, when the books open up, it's probably going to be a little chalky. By the time we get to Friday, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be like minus 800. I imagine a few of these spots in this card are going to get out of control, but this one right here in particular, I think, will get out of control. When the word gets around, 20-year-old prospect, very, very good, a lot of steam out of ATT in Atlanta. I think people are going to be all over and the steam is just giving you a heads up. That's the breakdown, guys. Thanks again for joining us. And if you haven't done so already, like and subscribe. What are you waiting for? All right, the main event for PFL Challenger Series 7 is going to feature a welterweight bout at 170 pounds between the American fighter, Lewis Brewington, and the Serbian fighter, Andrija Stankovic. Tons of variables here, tons of unknowns. I feel like I'm back in algebra class. With Stankovic, we don't have size information on him. We don't have any amateur record on him. Barely any film. The one film I found of him in a mixed martial arts bout was in a exhibition situation. We have a little more film on Lewis Brewington. Both fighters have no pro experience. Obviously, they're 0-0. But coming in here, it seems like Lewis Brewington has a little more mixed martial arts experience. Now, it's not great experience, but it is some experience. We have at least some more film to go off of. For Lewis Brewington, I was able to find his size through listening to the commentating on one of his prior amateur bouts. He's six foot four with a 79 inch reach. He should have a height and reach advantage here, which he usually does. At 170 pounds and six foot four, you can imagine. A very long, lanky fighter. And that's how he looks on film as well. For Brewington, his strong point is grappling and jiu-jitsu. Has some submissions, also been submitted himself. He got submitted like in 33 seconds and I think his second amateur bout. His weakness is striking, and it's a shame because he's got this long frame. He's six foot four, about an 80 inch reach. He actually got knocked down in the first few seconds of one fight. That's the fight where he lost by 33 seconds by submission. So a little sloppy on the feet, kind of sloppy in the ground too, but it appears at this point his best tools are on the ground, grappling and doing some jiu-jitsu. As for Mr. Stankovic from Serbia, the limited film we have on him is very hard punching power. Throws good combinations to the body, works his way up to the head. The one bout we saw from him in the mixed martial arts, it was strictly striking, but his hands are powerful and he had pretty good cardio. It was two minutes per round, exhibition style bout. He looked nonetheless very good with his striking. I think on the feet, there'll be a striking advantage for Stankovic. On the ground, I think Lewis has more skills, but he really lacks strength and power. Again, six foot four, very long body. Stankovic looks like he's more like a six foot one, six foot two at the most. A little stockier, has a little bit more of a build, thicker legs, thicker everywhere. For Stankovic, I imagine the grappling is the weak part of his game. When you watch film on him, YouTube, interviews, whatever else, it's strictly boxing, boxing, boxing. I think he was pursuing a career in boxing, now he's making a transition over to mixed martial arts, which means he's going to have some catching up to do with the grappling area and jiu-jitsu area. 
As for the numbers on tapology, the public votes are coming in on the side of Stankovich. 67% to be exact for Stankovich and 33% for Lewis Brewington. I do agree. I like Stankovich to win the fight. I like his power combinations in his hands. I like how he works the body. I think if he hits Lewis Brewington with some of those body shots, I think he goes down pretty easy and at that point be looking to chase an ankle, an arm, or somehow drag Stankovich to the ground with him. But even on the ground, Brewington is not clean. Let's put it that way. He does a lot of very odd stuff. Let's talk about the Serbian first. Born and raised in Serbia. His tapology says he's training out of Sanford MMA. If that's true, that would be huge for him. Definitely a good gym, would help him shore up some of his grappling, become a better mixed martial artist. So if he's at Sanford MMA, that's great. If he's not, that's what tapology is saying, so I apologize for the misinformation. He has an interview online with a podcaster. The problem is the whole thing is in his native tongue. I think it's Serbian. So I can't understand a damn thing, and it's a nice long interview. I wish I could pick up anything, but he seems like a pretty social guy, was comfortable to do this interview with a podcaster. The one film we found for Stankovic was in Cagezilla 46. If you go to Tapology and search Cagezilla 46, you won't see Stankovic in that card. That was one of the first things that kind of rose a red flag to me. I'm like, why is he not listed on that fight card? Him and his opponent, why are they not listed? He fought Alan Hargrove in that fight. Well, it's because it was an exhibition bout right before the main event. Three two-minute rounds, he beats Hargrove. He wins the fight in every single round. Lights up Hargrove the entire time. Hargrove does a good job at least taking the body shots and not getting knocked out or KO'd. But it was 30-27 on all three judges' scorecards. And Andrija Stokovic definitely has some combinations. He strikes to the body, look good, didn't gas out, but again, it was two-minute rounds. That's the only fight I could find online of Stokovic doing any kind of fighting. I couldn't find anything about boxing or kickboxing as an amateur. What you do come across on YouTube is you'll find films of him boxing in the gym, Urban Boxing League or something, but it's not really matches. There's like other people standing in the ring with him. Like some people are just standing in there. Some are coaching, some are training, or sometimes he's on a match, it's boxing. The combinations look good. He's a decent boxer, but there's just not much to go off of here. I think looking at what I saw on film though, he should be able to get to the body of Lewis Brewington who doesn't have great stand-up defense. The problem would be for Stankovic is if the fight gets to the ground, Lewis Brewington is super long, six foot four, has very long arms, very lean. Could he swoop up a submission, get a rear naked choke? Could he backpack Stankovic? It's possible, but when we talk about Lewis Brewington, there's a lot of weak parts of his game. Even though he does a decent job at grappling, he's not a very clean grappler. The things I like about Stankovic, he's got a lot of power in his hands, as we mentioned. Goes to the body, works his way on up, has good combinations. Looking back over my notes, when he fought Alan Hargrove, he does use some kicks and he does them in combination. Now, it's not amazing. He throws a question mark kick at one point, doesn't even get close to hitting him, but he does have some kicks in his arsenal. I believe his kicking attack is a little better than Brewington and definitely comes with more power. Brewington has a variety of different strikes, does a lot of different things on the ground, but power is not his strong suit. When you look at how he's built, when you see him walk into the cage, you're gonna see what I'm talking about. Looks more like a basketball player. So for Stankovic, though we have limited film on him, he does have a bit of a balanced attack on the feet, kicking game and striking game, and has some power also throws in combination. My concerns for Stankovic, there's very little film. There's a ton of variables we don't know. We don't know about his boxing record. We don't know what his size is. We're assuming the grappling department is his weakness. We're assuming the striking department is his strength. We're going off of one fight, exhibition bout, two minute rounds against a guy named Alan Hargrove, who's 0-3 in his mixed martial arts career. My other concern for Stankovic is, even though he throws for power, he throws for power all the time. In a two minute round, three round fight, exhibition style, not a big deal against a lower opponent like Hargrove. In this fight against Brewington, who's been around the block a little bit more, has some more experience, could Stokovic find himself getting gassed out, throwing too hard, getting off balance, now finding himself in a submission situation? So I'm just curious to see, can he keep up that power and pace over the course of three rounds? Age-wise, I don't know how old Stokovic is. So is he younger than Brewington? Brewington's only 31. Is he 27, 26? Looks like he's in his mid-20s. Should be young enough to have good cardio, but I don't know that. It's a variable we just don't know. I did find him on Instagram. I sent him a message just asking him for some basic information, like your age, whatever else. That was a few days ago. I haven't got a response. Maybe he doesn't even speak English. So I try to do plain English for him. I don't speak Serbian. And one more thing about Stankovic. Though he's got a nice striking attack, and it's balanced, some kicking, good body shots, 
very limited head movement. And that's, I think, a factor of him having not fought a lot, having limited experience, but his head is still. And I guess he's got confidence. He's striking against his opponent, walking them down. Ellen Hargrove did make him pay for that. I don't think Lewis Brewington is going to make him pay for that. But as he moves up in the ladder and fights better opponents, he's going to have to increase his head movement because it's, it's still the entire time. He's throwing hard shots, bam, bam, and his head's right there on a pedestal, ready to be countered at any point. Now, as for Lewis Brewington, the American fighter, he's from Miami, Florida, but now he's currently fighting out of Atlanta, Georgia. And it says he's out of ATT Atlanta. Again, I can't confirm that. I heard that one of his prior fights in the introductions. But again, if he's at ATT Atlanta and you got Stankovic out of Sanford MMA, at the very least, they have good gyms, good training partners, good coaching. They're being well prepared. We could see a significant improvement in both fighters from the last film that we saw. Lewis Brewington is 7-5 as an amateur. He started off 3-5 in his first eight amateur bouts. Five of his seven wins have been by submission. There's a submission part of his game. He does have some decent jiu-jitsu, though I've seen Brewington also get submitted in some of his fights as well. The two fights we watched Lewis Brewington, we watched him versus Albert Patterson in 2016, won the fight via round two submission. We also watched him in 2015 lose a fight in round one by submission in 33 seconds to Shaheen Santana. Those two links for those two fights are down below if you want to check those out when you have some time. As we mentioned before, the strong parts of Lewis Brewington's game, it's grappling and jiu-jitsu. He also usually has a big reach advantage and height advantage, but he's not much of a striker. Maybe his training at ATT is also helping him improve in that area of his game. But with those long arms and long legs, if he can learn how to strike and work at distance, that could be an advantage for him. It's a size advantage right now. I don't know if it's an actual technical advantage because I haven't seen him use it, but maybe again, since the last time we watched him on film to now, there's been some improvements. My concerns for Lewis Brewington. We mentioned him getting submitted in 33 seconds via a Darce choke in his second amateur fight. When you watch that fight, he's so sloppy. He gets knocked down by the first punch the first few seconds. Then he's going for a double leg takedown. He's got his head right there underneath the arm of the guy. The guy just gets an easy Darce choke. It just looked terrible. He tapped pretty quickly too. It wasn't like he was fighting it very much all across the board looked like an amateur. Now, in the Elber Patterson fight, 2016, that he gets that win in round two by submission, man, that was so sloppy. Elby Patterson was like five foot eight compared to Lewis Brewington, was much, much taller. He should have just dominated Elber Patterson, who's not a very good fighter. I know it's an amateur bout, but you could just tell that guy was very raw. He gets a submission win in round two, but he makes so many mistakes on the path to that victory. Had he fought anyone else who had decent grappling skills, he would have been just completely wallowed up. He gets sloppy. He's got these long limbs, got this long body. It's very sloppy grappling against a low-level opponent, like in that case against Patterson. It works out for him. Against anything else, it's going to be a problem. Now, again, for Andrzej Jostankovic, he's not a grappler or wrestler, so that shouldn't be a big issue for Brewington. But if he's sloppy on the ground, trying to get this guy on the ground or trying to find submissions, I just think at times that doesn't work against any kind of level of opponent that's decent. In that fight against Patterson, Patterson was not that good. So Brewington gets the win, but it wasn't clean by any means. And one more concern for Lewis Brewington, we mentioned Stankovic doesn't have any ground attack on film that we've seen or wrestling, so we don't know. That's a variable. But at least in the feet, he's got a variety of strikes, right? Hand strikes, kicking game. For Lewis Brewington, he is very one-dimensional. If he cannot get the fight to the ground, if he cannot find a submission, his only path to victory at that point is just position control on the ground. I don't see him having position control over Stankovic, who seems to be a little stockier and stronger and may not have the best ground game, but if he at least can defend some of the ground attacks, defend the submissions, I just don't see how Lewis Brewington, who's a one-dimensional fighter, is able to go ahead and parlay that into a victory with an opponent like Stankovic, who's going to be on the feet with a lot more volume, a lot more striking and landing the harder punches. If Lewis Brewington, for example, fought against a solid wrestler, a good wrestler would just dominate him. He's very weak in the clinch, not very strong on the ground, doesn't work well from top control. His best submissions are coming from either he's got back control. So just, yeah, very one-dimensional for Lewis Brewington. And all this could be out the window. Maybe he's making big progress since the last time we saw him. And the same thing for Stankovic. The last few notes to have these two fighters are side-by-side -side comparisons. For experience, 
I got to give a slight mixed martial arts edge to Lewis Brewington in experience. He's fought, you know, six years as, as an amateur, had a few bouts. We don't see nothing from Stankovic in terms of experience, but the one fight you did see from him against Hargrove, he does look pretty decent. His striking is okay. So from an experience standpoint, I'm a little torn there. Stankovic looks a lot cleaner on the feet, better striking, kicking game is, is much better than Lewis Brewington, yet Brewington's had more mixed martial arts fights. The gyms also are a factor, right? We got two gyms that are very well known, Sanford MMA and ATT. Again, I think their experience is about the same. Age-wise, it's also a curveball. Is Stankovic 25? Is he 22? Is he 31? We don't know. We know Brewington's 31 years old. For fighter IQ, I give an edge to Stankovic. From what I saw on film, at least he stuck to what he was good at. Lewis Brewington is good at grappling. He's not great at it, and sometimes he also falls victim to it. So I think from a fighter IQ standpoint, I like Stankovic a little more. For cardio, I want to say Stankovic has better cardio because he looked good in that three-round, two-minute-per-round fight as an exhibition. But again, I just said it. Two minutes per round, three-round fight, exhibition. Lewis Brewington, he's so sloppy at times. You're not sure. Is he getting tired? Is he gassing out? Is he just being a sloppy fighter? Cardio-wise, I can't really tell you who's better. That's just an area we're going to find out when the fight happens. But I would assume, a slight assumption here, that Stankovic may have better cardio. For finishing ability, definitely give it an edge to Stankovic. If he's on the ground and Lewis Brewington's got his back for some reason, got the hooks in, looking for a rear naked choke or something of that nature, yeah, it's going to look bad for Stankovic. You know, the finishing ability will be on the side of Brewington in that dynamic. But on the feet, I feel like if Stankovic lands any hard body shots on this skinny dude, Lewis Brewington, Brewington's not going to do well with that. From the finishing ability, both guys are low level. First pro mixed martial arts fight. Could see Stankovic sticking him to the body and that leading to a possible TKO. For boxing ability, I give the edge to Stankovic. We've talked about it already enough. And for grappling, I give the edge to Lewis Brewington. But I want to emphasize this. He has the grappling skills, but he lacks power in the clinch. It's very sloppy. All right, for the fights we watched to bring down the swim, we watched Brewington versus Santana 2015, Brewington versus Patterson 2016, and Stankovic versus Hargrove in 2017. To watch those three fights, go down below in the description. You'll see those three links available for you to check those out. They're very low level, but it gives you at least a glimpse of what these guys look like in the octagon or in the cage or in their training, whatever they're looking at. So I like Stankovic. We don't have a money line available quite yet, so I'm going to give you my estimated money line based upon the information we have. I think Stankovic opens up around a minus 210 to minus 250 favorite, and that would also make sense with the tapology numbers, right? 67% of the votes coming in here are for Stankovic. I think he's the stronger fighter. I think he's going to have some combinations that Lewis Brewington would have a hard time dealing with. So I'm going to estimate the money line will be around minus 210 to minus 250 when it opens up. Maybe get steamed. So by Friday with no UFC this weekend, people are itching, looking for any action they can get. Maybe closes around minus 300, minus 400. Now, if it goes crazy, like minus 500, minus 600 range, or minus 700, something like that, put a little dash on Lewis Brewington. He has fought in more mixed martial arts bout. He could look better here. He does have submission ability. Stankovic could have a cardio issue. He hasn't fought in a full mixed martial arts bout before. A lot of questions. So if it gets a little bit out of control, and he's got a huge number on him, just take the other side. But if it stays around minus 250, minus 300 range, and anything under that, I'll be parlaying this fight and some other fights, maybe with some Cage Warrior fights or even from the UFC event coming up the following weekend. But hard to imagine you want to put straight up any money on two very young prospects, first pro fight. Now, if it's pick'em range right now, if it's around minus 120, yeah, then we're talking about some straight up money. You don't want to back up a fighter in his pro debut, very limited film, and it's chalky, recipe for disaster. That's the breakdown, guys. We like the Serbian fighter here, Stokovic, to beat the American, but there's a lot of variables, a lot of unknowns. Keep an eye out for the money line. Let's see how close we are getting that correct, at least for the opening money line. Good luck with this fight, guys. Well, that brings us to the end of the episode, guys. Hopefully, we learned a few things about some of these young fighters. I'm going to go over a quick summary of our picks to win. We like Stankovic, Christian Turner, Alexei Pergand, Rakim Talley, and the opening bout, Jaden McDaniel. 
the ones that we like the most, the ones we have the most confidence in, the ones we might do a little parlaying with, Turner, Stankovic, and Pergan. I want to give a shout out to Stankovic. I wrote him a message on Instagram. Dude got back to me, gave me his current age, referred to his style as a kickboxer. Not much film on him, so I reached out hoping I'd get whatever information I could from him. He got back to me, so I'm hoping Andrija Stankovic has a good night. Nothing against Lewis Brewington, very good fighter as well. But uh, I think Stankovic is going to take it home in the main event. Again, we like Stankovic a lot, Turner a lot, and Pergran a lot. I like Rakim Talley a lot too. There's just that unknown of this Santino Zarita guy. He doesn't look great from what we saw, which is just him sparring with Nganu. But you just never know. I wish I had more film on him. For Rakim Talley, he looks legit, looks the part, great wrestler. But there's just that unknown. And for the first fight we discussed, Jaden McDaniel versus Darius Alderman. There's like nothing to go off of. We got an interview with Alderman. We got some photographs of Jaden McDaniel and uh, their topologies are not accurate. Thus, you gotta be careful with a card like this. I wouldn't get heavily invested. If you wanna parlay the pieces that we talked about, Turner, Pargan, and Stankovic, that's what we're gonna do. We'll list our parlay pieces on our Twitter page. We'll give those to you later in the week. If you're following us on Twitter, check us out. The link's down below in the description. And of course, take advantage of our free video library. If you go down below in the description, you'll see a ton of links there for prior fights on all these fighters. In some cases, we couldn't find much film. Like for example, Jaden McDaniel, no film at all for him. That's the breakdown, guys. Thanks for joining us. For all the DJs out there who love mixed martial arts and are going to be uh, scratching this weekend. I need my, my UFC. Sorry, guys, but at least we got this and we got Cage Warriors. And if you haven't done so already, please give us a like and subscribe. And if you already are liked up and subscribed up, thank you. Maybe share our content and some of your friends know. Tell people that we're the real deal at MMA Fight Club. No BS. Straight to the point. Good research. Good analysis. And hopefully we're going to slam out this card and get some winners. All right, guys. Take care. We'll talk to you soon. Deuces.